You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Author of the book, We the Media, executive director of the Center for Citizen Media, and former technology columnist at the San Jose Mercury News, Dan Gilmore goes on the record online. In fact, I would say that anyone who thinks that uh, what's on local TV at five in the evening, uh, is if anyone who thinks that's sufficient for one's news diet is woefully uninformed. And thank you for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online. This podcast is recorded from the New Communications Forum in Palo Alto, California. If you're a first-time listener of the show, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing, and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I am the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and public relations initiatives. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way that people consume media and information. Today we have an interview with Dan Gilmore, Uh, He is uh, a blogger, an author, and a journalist. Uh, If you are a subscriber to the show, um, or if you want to subscribe to the show, uh, you can pick up the feed at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. I do want to mention uh, one upcoming guest that we do have confirmed to appear on the show in the future, uh, and that is going to be Chet Rhodes. He is the video podcast editor at the Washington Post. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, subscribers of the show will be amongst the first to get that. And now, without any further ado, I want to play the interview with Dan Gilmore in its entirety after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Dan Gilmore, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. How did you decide to launch the Center for Citizen Media? It uh, seemed to me that there needed to be a, uh, an organization uh, that was trying to take a broad look at this um, emergent phenomenon of uh, people for bottom-up media, and in particular with a focus on journalism, which is the thing I've done for a long time and that I care most about in the media space, to help uh, uh, Research it, figure it out, figure where it's going, figure out what the uh, problems may be and help avoid some of them, do some research into current conditions, uh, some education and training, and 
in general to try and help uh, push this entire uh, sphere forward. And I think we need to have it. So this this will be the main thrust of the program. And obviously prior to that, you were a writer over at the uh, San Jose Mercury News. Uh, I spent uh, 10 years doing column at the uh, Mercury News and started a weblog in 1999. David Satterfield was one of the first um, interviews I did on this show. Um, what was it that, conv- that well, what was the catalyst that said to you, what was the aha moment that, that by which you said, hey, something else is going on here. I've got to get out of here and sort of do my own thing or? Well, I, I never, if, if you're talking about why I left the newspaper, it wasn't, it wasn't a I have to get out of here uh, feeling that that would sound more like a uh, a bailout. And that wasn't ever what I felt because, for one thing, they treated me incredibly well there. I had what I considered uh, one of the very best jobs anyone could have in the journalism world. But having written uh, We the Media, the book, and having participated in this uh, idea that the readers really know a lot and that they're part of a community, not just a bunch of consumers, and that that's true, I think, for all media. Uh, and the ability to uh, play a different role in this developing phenomenon, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I'm I'm glad I did it. I you know it's it it's uh, been a bit of a financial hit. Uh, but that's great. I'm having more fun. When did grassroots media in the United States take rise, and 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 what did you think of it? Well, it didn't just happen. It uh, it's been a long thing. I mean, you you can go back to Tom Paine and to Ben Franklin and a few others in the Revolutionary days to see pieces of this in uh, a different era and. We always think that we're doing something brand new. Well, uh, I, I've learned I never ever now say that I'm the first or that I know that <clears throat> something else is the first because I'm usually wrong about that. But in the, modern, in the modern world, there are some antecedents to this that are pretty important. You think back to uh, I.F. Stone, the great investigative journalist who by himself, wrote a newsletter in Washington, D.C. that really changed things over time. It was uh, widely read by other journalists and by people in power. And I don't know if he would have a blog today, but I suspect he might. Uh, People who are trying to say something, people who know they have a voice and want to use it, are the people... Excuse me, the people who that's, do this. That's a fresh glass of water, okay. by the way. Um, the, the digitization and democratization of the tools for creating media, the stuff you have right here in front of me, is the big shift that enabled people who wanted to say something to actually say it. And the democratization is not just the tools, but the distribution. So the, the, the f- uh, phenomenon we had with talk radio as it developed over the years 
of the audience really telling what they knew or having an opinion and talking now is something that is is even more widespread. So what got me going on it was really in the uh, in the mid-90s when I started writing a column in San Jose. And moving to San Jose to Silicon Valley to write about technology, I learned something quickly, which was that my readers knew a lot more than I did. And they all had email at the time, even then, and they were not a bit shy about telling me that they knew more than I did. So I, I learned quickly that my readers knew more than I did. And then that, that knowledge turned into something uh, that I also understood uh, pretty quickly was that if I had a conversation with them, I could do a lot better journalism. If I brought that knowledge from outside into the work I was doing through conversation, that my my reporting and writing would get better. And that's where I decided journalism was evolving from lecture into conversation. And then the tools got easier to use to say what you wanted to say. The blogs were the first uh, easy way to write on the web the way people were reading from it and to update a site that was one's own regularly and and simply that was a huge breakthrough and i remember starting a blog in 1999 and and immediately understanding that this was going to change how i did everything and and now with the tools getting better the podcasting things that you're doing and others that are uh, moving to video and the the mashup of different kinds of data from one website to another or, or another. That's very much part of what I'm talking about. So we're in the early days, but it became clear uh, that the conversation was the point and that once once I got that, the rest flowed directly from it. How can readers determine which citizen news sources are credible? Are there risks associated with relying upon citizen journalism for news? Absolutely, there are risks. Uh, as, just as there are uh, risks in relying on local television for news. In fact, I would say that anyone who thinks that uh, what's on local TV at 5 in the evening, uh, is, if anyone who thinks that's sufficient for one's news diet is woefully uninformed and uh, at best underinformed that the the question of what is trustworthy and reliable and and content filled and and uh, and deep applies to all media and in this new world we need to reassert media literacy in just uh, in an updated way We've come to understand, for example, that uh, the, the tabloid next to the checkout stand, that newspaper next to the checkout stand at the supermarket that has a blaring headline about George Bush's latest alien love child, that that's probably false. And that if we go outside the supermarket and in, in the rack is the New York Times that we have to pump four quarters in to purchase – we know that what's in that newspaper, which has a lower circulation, by the way, than the one on the checkout stand, we know that that has 
uh, uh, we know that paper is probably true. We've learned over the years what's trustworthy and what isn't in traditional media. We have to now apply very similar skills and uh, learning to understand what we can trust online and in this new medium. It gets much more complicated because there's much more of it. There's more places to look. There's more things to listen to, to watch. But we will have to learn over time to to stay with things, to find things that we trust and then stay with them. And we will need better tools. Uh, We need things that will combine the community knowledge about what what the community thinks is trustworthy plus uh, the 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 kind of uh, rankings that a, that a, a Google algorithm might do plus uh, reputation management where I can look at data from a variety of sources about what people are looking at and what they like but then I want to add to that what people I trust think is worth looking at and combine a bunch of these things. And we need better tools to do that. We don't have them yet. So are you suggesting that perhaps there is some sort of technological solution or alternative to editorial oversight? A combination of technology and people. We can, in in this new uh, media sphere, we need to apply the best of what machines do uh, to help human judgment and vice versa. This is, this is a new world, and we have to use the tools that are available. What we don't have right now are very good tools, but I'm very confident that they're coming. From a business standpoint, certainly the introduction of technology has shortened our patience threshold. We want things quicker. We want them now. And it's easier for grassroots media to get news out because they don't have the same command and control setup that you might have at the print publishing newsroom. So to what extent, I mean, should newspapers be looking to reinvent themselves uh, in the face of this challenge? Traditional media should be using grassroots media in, and, and grassroots concepts in at least two ways. The first way, which many are doing already, is to uh, look at the tools for conversational media that exist, like blogs, like podcasts, like the things we've been talking about today, and use them internally uh, as part of the news gathering and dissemination process done by professional journalists. That's a great start. And, and have comments enabled so you can listen to what people say about what you're doing. Good start. The next step, though, that's a little harder for news organizations, because it's not fundamentally in their DNA, is to bring the former audience as, as I like to call it, the former audience, into the process of having the conversation that the community needs to have with itself. A newspaper, to just cite one example of this, is a terrific organization to uh, be the, the convener of a community conversation if it wants to. Not too many do this, but it, it would be a 
terrific thing to do, and then use these tools to give the people in the community a platform for uh, speaking with each other and to bring out things that we might know. We, uh, we can do a lot that way. It's, again, newspapers and traditional media organizations are not typically uh, in the business of saying, we're putting this on our site, but we don't vouch for it. That's, just, that's not in the DNA. Well, they have to learn how to uh, put things up that they don't vouch for, but which they help improve and, what they he- and help do things with and then uh, help people understand that not everything is automatically true and that they have to do some personal due diligence. But the, going back to the uh, beginning of your question about the speed, uh, one real problem in, the, in this 24 hours news day is the, and it, I, this applies to traditional media now that are part of this, is that people uh, in many cases appear more inclined to get it first than to get it right. And that applies to traditional just as much as it does to any blogger you name. And we simply have to be careful about what we uh, trust when we see something that's breaking news. And I think it was Mark Twain, I don't remember the exact quote, but something about uh, a lie travels around the world three times before the truth puts its gloves on, something like that. One, one of the things about digital technology and the net is that I think there's a potential for developing ways to help truth catch up with those lies or at least uh, chase them down and... and not stay too far behind. How? I can't do anything about people who choose to be irresponsible and, and except to point out that they're being irresponsible. But one thing bloggers are pretty good at is debunking and fact-checking uh, after the fact. It doesn't mean that the people who saw it wrong to start with are going to, ca- are going to see the truth. But increasingly you can find sites online where you can uh, double check things you've looked at the uh, the uh, snopes website that debunks urban myths for example can, can you spell it snopes s n o p e s it's a uh, if if you if, as as an example you know remember the uh, uh, the so-called uh, bill 602p that was going to put a tax on your email federal tax, which, of course, it was a hoax. And yet, for years, I was getting emails from frantic readers at the Mercury News saying, have you heard about this outrage? And I would say, please, you know, it's not true. And I'd point them to that site where it was debunked thoroughly and say, and do me a favor, will you send a mail to anyone else you sent email to about this to tell them that you've learned that it's not true? So we need things like that. But one thing responsible uh, online news organizations should be thinking about is mechanisms through which they can let people know if there's been a correction. We can do that online. We can fix the thing in place. Then we can we could we can actually help people find that it was maybe wrong to start with. So there's no good ways to do that now, but there will be. When you were writing your book, uh, We the Media, Grassroots Journalism by the People for the People, what was the audience you had in mind? 
Hmm. I, I didn't have a specific audience. I did want journalists uh, to read it. I, I thought journalists were uh, important for the future of America and, and the world, and I wanted to help them see that this was a uh, part of the world that they ought to be participating in. I was hoping that people interested in how media work and maybe uh, people who, who were concerned that media are failing might take a look at it. But I didn't have any specific target audiences um, other than perhaps journalists. How do you propose uh, newsmakers and citizen journalists work together to provide a more honest, up-to-date reporting and uh, minimize any antagonism existing between the two groups? Uh, how how pro-journalists and citizen media folks? I There are a number of ways. One, we just talked a little bit about the idea of a uh, traditional organization inviting the readers into the process. That would be a good start. Uh, I think the and there are many ways that a, a a big media company could work with the citizen journalist types, and in some cases they're getting hired or bought. Uh, the uh, uh, Weblogs Inc. sale to America Online certainly would qualify as an example of uh, how big media will work with little media. In some cases, they'll just buy it. Uh, I would like to see individual journalists, pro-journalists, be more uh, willing to listen to readers who want to talk about what they're doing and, and offer their own insights. Because, you know, the first rule of a conversation is you have to listen. And if, if, if journalism's turning toward a conversation, then it sounds to me like the first uh, thing that the journalist has to learn how to do better is listen. But that's a good start, and we can be doing things where we involve uh, – I'm still using we, even though I'm out of the business – we can do things where we start asking readers to uh, help us with stories, and that's not a totally new thing, but big media are inviting readers to send photos now, videos. Uh, those are those are helpful, but I'm thinking about a much deeper relationship in the end where it's uh, truly collaborative, and I, I say that without knowing with any real clarity how it will actually work. In your book, you write, quote, the people at the edges of the communications and social networks can be a newsmaker's harshest, most effective critics, but they can also be the most fervent and valuable allies, offering ideas to each other and to the newsmaker as well. How long is it going to take? I mean, is this, are we going to see this happen? And if so, I mean, do you see that happening inside of a year or two years or three years? Granted, I mean, it's just speculation, but what do you think? Oh, I'm 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 never I, I I'm not smart enough to tell you how long it'll take, and all I do know is it'll be very messy for a while while we all figure this out, <clears throat> and 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 also while the business model questions uh, are dealt with, and that's far bigger as an issue uh, for the professionals right now 
than any uh, alleged competition as uh, from the journalists out in the in the wide world, because the business model is unraveling, and that's a that's got their focus as it should. I, but I think over time we could have a pretty healthy uh, and diverse ecosystem that includes the big media uh, and the micro media, if you want to call it that, doing work that has, uh, in one case, a much larger audience, and then in some cases a niche audience that sometimes gets big, and where uh, where we 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 have a not status quo, but a kind of equilibrium, much like uh, the, the kind we've tended to have after every big media revolution, where effectively we do stand on each other's shoulders and always have. And we'll figure out whose shoulders are uh, above whose, but I, I think it'll work out. Dan Gilmore, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.